0: I was at the library the other day and they had this big van thing out there, big old truck, bookmobile. Oh, wow, that's great. You know, it goes to different places where people can't get to the library and makes books available to people so that hopefully they can become literate and maybe become good citizens or whatever. All esoteric systems mention our predicament with the law. One way or another, we're under these laws. And all esoteric systems address this, address this limited movement that we have, (laughs) the limitations of our freedom because of the laws that we're under. And what's worse is that we apply these laws, and the way we apply them often limits us even further. The universe is governed by orders of laws. The work speaks of three orders of laws, the law of accident, the law of fate, and the law of will. Prisoners of the lower regions in which we live are subject to lower laws. Now, you might be wondering where the bookmobile comes into this. What i thought about that was, isn't it amazing? We're in a prison, but it's a prison mobile. We take our prison with us wherever we go. People think, oh, if I just move to a different job, if I just get a different husband or a different wife or get a different this or get a different that, then things will be better. No, because you're going to drive there in your prison mobile. And when you get there, you're still going to be in your prison mobile. There is no way to change your situation without changing your prison mobile, without getting rid of that. What the work calls the law of accident, other systems call karma, cause and effect, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the law of the jungle, whatever. It's the realm of the underconscious. This was another word that just kind of came to me. I thought, you know, it's not that we're unconscious. It's that we're underconscious. We are not as conscious as we could be. Well, what does that tell you? Well, that I'm not as conscious as I could be. Well, what it tells me is I should be more conscious. Because, well, because why? Well, because I can be. If there is room for me to be more conscious, then I want to be more conscious. But aren't you worried about all the things that you'll see? Well, no, not exactly worried. Fortunately, I don't know all the things that I'll see, so I can't really worry about them. I could make things up and say, oh, it will be terrible. But why do that? Why not make things up and say, oh, it will be wonderful? Either one is the same thing, really. It's not going to be terrible or wonderful. It's just going to be whatever it is. The realm of the underconscious, the mechanical man that is our mobile, self-made, self-sustaining and self-perpetuating prison. It's our prison mobile. We take it everywhere we go. We look through its windshield and its rear-view mirrors and at its side windows at everything. Everything comes to us through the windows of the prison mobile. But we no longer think that. We no longer see ourselves as looking out through windows that are tinted or dirty or shaded or only looking out on one side. We no longer see it that way. We see it as looking out the only place there is to look out, our own eyes. And so essentially this prison mobile is our own body in a sense. We can't escape prison by making it mobile. We must brave brief excursions into the unknown regions of consciousness. This means leaving the known for the unknown. Nobody really likes that. Well, maybe a few people. But they don't really like leaving the known for the unknown. They like leaving what they don't like for what they might like. They're gamblers, dreamers, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Should be a little bit of that in all of us. A little bit. Like a car on the road, the prison mobile is subject to certain laws. The work calls this the order of the law of accidents. So these certain laws, like there are certain laws that apply to you when you're on the road. But if you're not on the road, those laws do not apply to you. There are certain laws that apply to you if you're walking on the road. You can't use your turn signal, so that law doesn't apply to you. If you're going under the speed limit, that law doesn't apply to you. So there are laws that don't apply to you in certain instances. But then, if you're in your prison mobile on the road, all of the laws of the road apply to you. You know, I did a course one time, and there was a police officer teaching the course, an ex-highway patrolman. And he brought out a driver's manual, the one that you get when you go to the DMV. little thin book, about 20 pages, isn't it? Those are the laws that you have to learn. And then he held up the book that the police use. It's the code the driving code of all the laws and it was about a thousand pages and he held them up together and he said this is what you know this is what we know this is what you think you have to obey this is what we think you have to obey who's got the power i was like wow the guy with the more laws has the power the guy with fewer laws is still under all those other laws he just doesn't know it this is exactly our case We are under all these laws, these thousands of laws, and we don't even know it. We just think we're under these few laws that we can see, the little driver's manual that you got. Just memorize this, pass your test, and go on out there and start to produce revenue for the state. Because no matter what you did, you you broke a law, and you don't even know it. Well, that seems unfair. Well, you can go to the library and read this book. Well, I'm not going to do that. Then don't say it's unfair. You could know, but you don't want to make the effort to know. You'd just rather take your chances. That's our condition, and that's our prison mobile. Both good and bad machines operate under the law of accident. If the machine reacts in a good way or a bad way, it's still under the law of accident. It's no use being a good machine. You're still under the same laws. Okay, let's take it back to the prison mobile on the road. All the black cars are the bad cars. All the white cars and the red cars and the yellow cars and the silver cars and all the other cars are the good cars. So all the black cars are under the same laws as all of the white cars and the red cars and the yellow cars and the silver cars and whatever else. So what good does it do to be a good machine under all those laws? Well, it really doesn't do any good. You're still under all those laws. You are still limited by those laws. You still cannot express your freedom, your potential beyond those laws, without breaking, transgressing those laws. You transgress one of those laws, and there is an effect to that. There is a natural reaction to that. Well, not if I don't get caught, except that these laws, you always get caught, because they're mathematical laws, and there's no way to transgress them without tipping the scales and changing the balance of things. How may one pass from the law of accident to the law of his fate? Gurdjieff said, only by growth of essence, which is what belongs to him. Personality is under more laws than essence. I've told you before and I'll tell you again, personality is under 48 orders of laws. And the false personality is under 96 orders of laws. That's a lot of laws. Essence, on the other hand, is under 24 orders of laws. And with right development, it leads to being under 12 orders of laws or the law of will. Because we have no will to speak of, because we have no real will, because we have many fragmented wills right now, we can't be under the law of will. We're under the law of accident. What does this really mean? Well, it means that life is the way it is. That's what it means. It means that people are born and die. It means that you get sick. It means that you can break things. It means that when you do something unkind, something unpleasant happens to you, sooner or later. There is no, once you have set that into motion, it means that in this world, on this road, in this prison mobile, the law is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can transcend those laws, but you can't do it by staying under those laws. So... What this all boils down to is that we have two things in us, what we are and what we think we are, what is real and what is unreal. Compared with personality, essence is what is real. What is real about you compared with personality is your essence. Does that mean that your essence is perfect? I don't know anything about that and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is compared with personality, your essence is real and your personality is unreal. That's all we need right now where we are. Of course, we want more. We want all the answers. We want the ultimate answer. Because somehow we think that the ultimate answer is somehow going to make us, what, free, happy, different? But you've had the ultimate answer so many times and nothing's changed. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you need now. That's why esoterically it said, give us this day our daily bread. Well, why not have a whole year's worth? Just give us this day our daily bread. Just give us what we need today. Right now, what do we need? Right now, all you need to know is that compared with your personality, essence is real and personality is unreal. You don't need much more than that at this point. Growth of what belongs to us simply means development of essence. That's all it means. What puts us obviously under the law of accident? What is it? Ask yourself, what is it that puts you obviously, clearly under the law of accident? Anything you come up with? Oh, well, you want an answer? Yes, I want an answer. Um, Actually, I want you to answer. I want you, each of you, to ask yourself this question. What is it that obviously... I'm not asking you for the little finer points. Good, give me one. Desire. Desire. That's great. Desire puts me under the law of accident. Sleep. Sleep puts me under the law of accident. Fear. Fear puts me under the law of accident. Blame. Blame puts me under the... You're right, you see. You can see what puts you obviously under the law of accident. You personally, I could say a hundred things, but you saying one thing, you finding the one thing that obviously puts you under the law of accident is worth so much more. I could talk all day, but what you notice is worth so much more. That's more important. What you notice about yourself is much more important than anything I could point out to you. Even if I said the same thing, it's not the same as if you see it yourself. So then, by straining yourself in a direction that doesn't belong to you, what happens is you pass more and more under the law of accident. So then, let's take your case of desire. So by straining yourself to get the objects of your desire, you put yourself more and more under the law of accident. So by searching your mind to find out who's to blame, whose fault it is, you put yourself more and more under the law of accident. By railing about the people who are in charge that you're afraid of, that are doing all the bad things and the wrong things and the stupid things and the unconscious things and the bureaucratic things, you're putting yourself more and more under the law of accident. By anesthetizing yourself with all the hypnotic rituals that you have in your life, you're putting yourself more and more under the law of accident through your sleep. So to see that about yourself is valuable. Well, why is that valuable? Well, because just seeing it puts a little space between you and it. In that little space, the light can shine. And the light shining in that little space just starts to touch just the edge of that nastiness that you've got there. And it starts to cleanse it just by touching it. You don't even have to do anything. The light does the work. The light just starts to clean it. It just starts to wash over it. And bit by bit, just remove some of the gunk. I've got a couple of things I'd like to read to you. One of them is from Matthew chapter six. It, actually, they're both pretty much the same, but they're both good. And I, I didn't know which one to read. So I'm going to read them both. And you get to either listen or go back to sleep or whatever you do when you come across things that are too boring for your high state of intelligence and you already know everythingness. <laughs> did, did I say that out loud? You know, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I, that's just usually what I think privately about you. actually not true at all i I don't usually think privately about you so chapter six matthew verses um, 19 through 34 do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there will be your heart also the lamp of the body is the eye If, therefore, your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, it's pretty great. Uh, Obviously, you don't have an eye in your body. You have two. And there they are, and you're looking at them. And esoterically, this is talking about something else. This is talking about your inner eye. The Easterners say your third eye. Your inner eye, the eye that looks inward. Or that can look inward. And for many of us, that eye is closed. It's not open. We don't look inward. Um, when we do look inward, what we see is just our own thoughts. But there's something else. There's another eye. And it, it is the lamp of the body. And if that eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Well, you remember the evil eye? You've heard about the evil eye. Well, you put the evil eye on me. Well, do you know that you have an evil eye? That you put the evil eye on people? Well, when you do that, your eye is bad and your whole body is full of darkness. And when your whole body is full of darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, it's as great as it gets. It doesn't get any greater than that. That is the ultimate darkness. The darkness that you put yourself in through your own hatred and vengeance and animosity and judgment and all of that. That's the darkness you put yourself in. And there's no greater darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being the Syrian god of wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has trouble enough of its own. Well, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, so is familiar with that. At least everybody in the Christian world is familiar with that. There was one other thing in, in uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 32 or thereabouts. It says, And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat. And basically all the other stuff that I read in the other one. Two different ways of coming at the same thing esoterically what does this mean esoterically what it means is a growth of essence is a growth of understanding a growth of consciousness a growth of personality is a growth of what is unreal when you grow your personality when you put your effort and your energy into that then that grows and your essence suffers as a result it means it does not grow its growth is withheld stunted held back retarded when you put your growth into your essential self then personality doesn't get everything that it wants but the thing is is it's not cast off it's not starved to death it gets what it needs it doesn't get what it wants that's the difference so by straining yourself in a direction that doesn't belong to you in the direction of personality you pass more and more under the law of accident by dedicating yourself to something that is real in you or that is more real in you you will pass under the law of your fate. You will pass out from under the law of accident under the law of your fate. To what degree? To the degree that you are able to put your energy into what is real about you. To that degree, you will remove yourself out from under the law of accident. Understanding belongs to you. You know you can't give anyone else your understanding. You have tried. You can't do it. I've heard it put another way. Someone has said, well, you can't give someone else your experience. Well... You don't have to. What he really meant was you can't give someone else your understanding. That's what he really meant. Someone could have the same experience as you, but that doesn't mean they'll have the same understanding. That doesn't mean they will get the same thing from it. What you get from your experience is your understanding. If you don't get anything from your experience, then you're doomed to repeat it. If you do get something from your experience, it will be understanding. And your understanding will put you under the law of your fate and not under the law of accident, so then you are not doomed to repeat it. Understanding belongs to consciousness. Consciousness is meaningless unless it's consciousness of something. We talk of consciousness like it's this thing. But consciousness is nothing if it's not a consciousness of something. What good is consciousness if you're not conscious of something? It's like, what does it mean to be super conscious? What means to be super conscious? It means to have a super consciousness, a consciousness above our ordinary consciousness. Super means above. It means to have a consciousness above our ordinary consciousness. If you want to get out from under the law of accident, you're going to need a consciousness above your ordinary consciousness. Well, in order to get that, you're going to have to get some understanding. In order to get some understanding, you're going to have to apply yourself where you are to the experiences that you have. Well, what experiences do we have now? Well, mostly unpleasant. I mean, most of the experiences in life are unpleasant. I've watched you stand up after you've been sitting for a while. It doesn't look that pleasant to me. You go for a walk. And almost everything you do is unpleasant. Think about it. There We have a few, few things that are pleasant. What are those things? Well, sleep. Sleep is pretty pleasant. We like that. Eating, Eating is pleasant. Yeah, we like that. All, all these things that don't belong to us. All those things we call pleasant. All the things that belong to us, we don't know anything about those. We don't know what's ours. That's one of our problems. We don't know what's ours. Our consciousness now is of a great many somethings. Our consciousness is full of somethings, things, 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 things. Lots and lots of somethings. We're looking toward the consciousness of feeling an I freed from the external bonds of identification. What we're working toward is a consciousness of a sense of self, a feeling of I that is not attached, glued to every single thing out there. Now, why we're looking toward that is because we are now in that. We are now in that feeling of I that is attached to everything or nearly everything. And the only reason that we can even see that there is something else is because we have been able to unglue it in a couple of areas. Conscious shocks in life have helped. But eventually, you know, you have to do the work of understanding it's not out there. What you want isn't out there. What you want, your desires will never be satisfied out there. Never, ever. You'll always have another. Desires spawn desires. It's a virus. A desirous is a a, a desirous. There you go. A desirous is a virus. It really is. It just keeps on eating and eating and eating until it destroys you. So you must work to unglue your attention from that and to find something else, something more real about you. So now our consciousness is glued to things, be they material, psychological, physical, astral, or even causal. It doesn't matter if it's physical, astral, psychological, causal. It's still on the road and you're still in the prison mobile. So now you don't want this. Now you want that. So now you don't Want cheap wine, you want expensive wine. If you're driving your prison mobile drunk on cheap wine and you get arrested, the penalty is the same as if you're driving on the most expensive wine in the world. No matter how much you enjoyed it, you are still arrested. You're still going to be paying the price because that's how it is under the law of accident. So, that I want you, want you to get the difference between. These physical lusts that we have and these emotional lusts that we have and these psychological lusts that we have, they may look like they're better, but they're all under the same law. Good or bad, it's under the same law. Development of consciousness is a development of meaning. Ospensky said, it's seeing 1,000 things where we only saw one. I thought this was wonderful because you start to observe yourself and you start to see things where you didn't see things before. You start to see yourself as you didn't see yourself before. Now, without work memory, that's pointless. You can see it now and forget it tomorrow. And you've done that enough times to know that you could be counted on to do that. That you see, I don't want to say this to this person. I'm not going to react that way. And then you react that very way that you said you weren't going to react. Then you realize from that, I can't do. This may take longer than I thought it was going to take. Which of course leads to a handful on a planet of seven billion, leads to that extreme, that formatory extreme, which of course we love. We go to this extreme or that extreme. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. Oh, it's hopeless. I'll never make it. We go from that to that, back and forth. When we can make thousands of connections instead of just one, our consciousness has increased. Look, when you can make three connections instead of just one, your consciousness has increased. Let's not say thousands, let's bring it right down to our reality. When you can make a few connections where you could only make one before, your consciousness has increased, your understanding has increased, your meaning has increased, hasn't it? You now have four options where you only had one. That's better. That's a step. Where we can see thousand distinct meanings in place of one, we have more light. Look, if you can see three toys on the floor, and then you turn the lights on and you can see six toys on the floor, you've increased your consciousness, you've doubled your consciousness, you now can see more things. That's what we're talking about. Only we're talking about turning the lights on inside of ourselves and seeing what's going on in here. Now we don't see very much, but we think we see everything. And because we think we see everything, we act as if we see everything. And because we act as if we see everything and we know everything, we are very proud and sure, certain. And that makes us very inflexible and unyielding and tyrannical around other people. That all has to change, but the only way that can change is to turn the lights on inside so that your inner eye be full of light. So that your whole body then is full of light. When your whole body then is full of light, you begin to see what's in there. When you can start to see what's in there, the light can fix it. The light can heal it. But it's up to you to let it in. Increases in consciousness illuminate more and more. You see more of everything and thereby begin to think more relatively. See, that's the big thing. Before you traveled to Guatemala, you had a very provincial attitude about things. Notice when you travel to start to travel the world, all of a sudden you see more things and it's like, oh, oh, well, it's not all like that. You began to change because you started to think more relatively. Maybe not a lot more relatively, but a little bit more relatively. Seeing the part in relation to the whole. That's what it means to think relatively. You start to see the part in relation to the whole. When the only part that you know is this part here, how can you possibly relate that to the whole other than this is the whole? But when you can see some other parts, then you realize these are just parts of the whole. I still don't see the whole, but now I see more of it. And so you become more flexible. Your consciousness is increased. You think more relatively. You're more sensible. You're a little less narrow and tight. Can you see that? Good. Now we see things isolated through our own narrow soul, contracted by a few fixed judgments of acquired personality. We don't have many judgments. We have judgments about men, we have judgments about women, we have judgments about dogs, we have judgments about cats. But they're pretty general. We don't have many. We don't see much. We are operating under a very small, tiny, constricted, contracted point of view based on our fixed judgments. So this great soul that your essential self is could be expanding so that it can see more and more and take more in relatively to see more and more of the whole, and to be able to understand more and more of how things actually are. But instead, it is limited by these blinders that we have on called fixed judgments, old associations, all these crazy notions that we acquired that keep us from seeing what's actually so. This will hinder the action of the influence of higher centers in us, as well as the conscious circle of humanity. They are under the law of will, and they will not transgress that law. What does that mean? It means that they will not transgress that law. They will not yank you out from under the law of accident and put you under the law of will. That would be like a stillbirth. That wouldn't work. They won't do that. We want them to do that. Oh, yes, just take me out of here. Take me away, Calgon. But that's not the way it works. We must increase our own consciousness. This is self-development. This is something that you must value enough to do something about it. The truth is right now you don't value it much and you don't do much about it. To the degree you value it, to that degree you do something about it. To the degree that you value the world, to that degree you're doing something about padding your personality, getting yourself a better position for personality. When we feel hopeless, it's because we don't see our condition. We think more of ourselves than we ought to be thinking of ourselves. We haven't realized our nothingness. All of that means the same thing. When we haven't realized our nothingness, we think more of ourselves than we ought. When we haven't realized our nothingness... We're not seeing our condition. When you see your condition, you know your nothingness. You see your condition, you realize you can't do. You realize you don't know. You realize that you're blind, that you can't think relatively. When you start to see all that, you begin to realize something. And how do we do this? We do this through uncritical, sincere self-observation. We realize we really don't know anything. In the big scheme of things, we really don't know anything. What do we know about the universe? Not much. Not much. And we know even less than the people who think they know. There are people who think they know, and they actually do know a couple of things. They know, for example, the distance between this galaxy and that galaxy, theoretically. What do we know? Well, we don't even know that. But we think we know because we could find out. But the truth is, it doesn't matter to us because we're not interested in that. We're only interested in how we can get something that's going to make us a little more comfortable right now. How is it going to make us more comfortable to know the difference between that galaxy and this galaxy? We're not interested. We don't value that. So we're not going to put any effort into that. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. You're going to put your value where you have your treasure. Whatever your treasure is. If it's a handful of marbles, you're going to protect it with your life. If it's a handful of gold, you're going to protect it with your life. If it's a handful of dirt, you're going to protect it with your life. Realizing our nothingness is one of our first positive emotions. It's interesting to me that the two positive emotions that I know about are grief and realizing my nothingness. Well, if that's what positive emotions are about, I think I'd rather not have them. <laughs> I mean, isn't that really what you think? Well, gee, if that's what positive emotions are, and that's why we don't have them. Because we don't want emotions like that. We want emotions that make us feel good and think we're wonderful and great. How generous and virtuous and good and wonderful we are. Those are the emotions we like. All the emotions that have opposites. Now, there is no opposite to your nothingness. It's real. You've reached alone, without help... All it is is morbid introspection, and I can promise you it becomes self-pity and negative emotions. You reach your nothingness alone without help, it will be morbid introspection, self-pity, negative emotions. Every single time. I've seen it happen dozens of times. In myself. I'm not even talking about you. We can't create a positive emotion in ourselves. Positive emotions are given as rewards. In mechanical life, love and hate are nearly indistinguishable. We have observed that anyway. In higher centers, there are no opposites. Maurice Nicole said, The more difficult and despising you are, the more opposites will be in you, especially those who imagine by pictures of themselves that they are full of loving kindness and who, if hit a little shrewdly, become devils of hatred, contempt, revenge, and all the rest. Just nail that to your door, Martin Luther, because that is the truth about you, the you that you think you are, the you that you must become conscious of the self, the personality that we have so completely identified with. We must begin to let some light in to see these things so that the light can start to disintegrate the glue. That's what the light does. You know how the sun will disintegrate things? You leave something out in the sun too long, it just starts to fade and disintegrate. Well, that's what the same action that the light has on the glue that keeps us attached to what is not us. If we let the light in, the light will disintegrate it. It will finally get to the point where that glue will become so brittle, we'll just break away from it effortlessly. The big effort is keeping the light there. That's the big effort. We make the wrong effort when we try to rip our hands off of what they've been superglued to. That's the wrong effort. Don't do that. Just let the light on it. Just let the light on it. Let the light rest on it. Let the light stay on it. Don't wiggle. Don't pull. Don't kick against the goads. Just let the light do the work. As we look back, we now see what we thought was self-observation was not. Can you do that? Can you look back to when you started in this work and see that what you thought then isn't what it is? Good. Our understanding of these ideas is gradually becoming wider. It's not happening all at once. It's gradually becoming wider. We want it to happen all at once, but it doesn't. When it doesn't happen all at once, we throw in the towel. We say things like, sometimes I can't believe what we are up against. Yeah, sometimes we can't believe what we're up against. When are those times? When we are in the personality side of ourselves. When we are in the myopic side of ourselves. A handful on a planet of seven billion. We are so fragmented. Yes, we are. But the light is equal to the task. Are we equal to allowing the light to shine where it will? Well, no, but we're getting there. I mentioned that our ideas of the work are gradually becoming wider. We start to realize we took as truth all the acquired false values, the pictures, the lies, the pride, the buffers, the vanity, the crystallized attitudes that pollute our being. We thought all of those things were true. We took all of that as the truth about us. We knew that this person was a bad person because they did this. We knew that they deserved bad things. We believed all of that to be the truth. We didn't believe in forgiveness. We didn't believe in mercy. We believed in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, justice for you and mercy for me. That's what we believed. But we slowly began to have our ideas wide through the light. We couldn't be talked to because we knew nothing. And when we are talked to, everything falls on the wrong place due to our miniature understanding. I'm not even going to bring up how many times I've tried to talk to you about things that you absolutely could not be talked to. It's too painful for you already, and I don't want to add to your pain. So laugh at it. Just laugh at it. We won't take help when it's handed to us on a silver platter. Why? We have not realized our nothingness. The stay in the hospital helps, doesn't it? I tried talking to one of you last week and was told, I think people are negative when they're not. Right. Excellent. Good job. Well done. You successfully blocked anything that could have saved you from what was to come. Brilliant. We do that all the time. The light is constantly trying to free us and we are constantly tying our shoes. We're constantly snugging up the knots. We're constantly shackling ourselves in. Why? Nobody's going to take me anywhere I don't want to go. That's true. But the light will never stop trying. Remember that. So on a planet of seven billion, the light will never stop trying individually for you. That drop of essence that is you, the light will never stop trying to bring it back home. So your job is a tough one, staying under the law of accident when all the power of the universe is pulling for you to get under the law of will. And you wonder why you're so tired when you hit the bed at night. Just because you know both sides of a buffer doesn't mean you can carry your consciousness from one side of that buffer to the other. The buffer remains because to know isn't the same as being conscious. Thinking you know is the most terrible danger in which you ever put yourself on this planet. I'm going to repeat that because it bears repeating. Thinking that you know is the most terrible danger that you can put yourself in on this planet, in this prison mobile, on this road. Thinking you know is the most terrible danger you can put yourself in. Think about it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.